Hello, how are you? I am fine. <laughs> um, thanks for 323k, even if it's just law enforcement. No more hiding their plans. GOP attempts outrageous stunt after Diaper Don loses appeal. But we are here today to authoritatively express huh? that President Trump did not commit an insurrection. Huh? Uh, and we believe Congress has a unique wow. role in making that declaration. It's not the job of the states and especially not the job of some bureaucrats in Colorado to make this assessment and interfere with the rights of voters to cast their vote for the candidate of their choice. The huh. very experts who often get on television and talk about securing democracy yeah. seem to be the mm -hmm. first to want to then remove a candidate from the ballot because they are afraid that he is too popular. This is why uh, all these motherfuckers should have been charged with fucking insurrection themselves they're trying to cover up their own treachery trying to cover up their own treason are obviously trying to cover up their involvement in the january 6th insurrection Hurry up. It's been three years. Members. Tell them. Hurry. So I said these people about 150 plus GOP traders obviously trying to cover up their role in the January 6th insurrection. They should all be behind bars, not in Congress. Everybody call the Justice Department and tell them to get a special prosecutor just to lock up all these insurrectionist Congress members. Tell them to hurry up. It's been three years. Reverse. Okay, I'm going to tweet that. Hurry up and lock up all these motherfuckers. Call the Justice Department. Call the Justice Department, 202-514. 2000 Okay, the Justice Department Okay We have 63 co-sponsors to the res This guy is a fucking child sex trafficker Resolution that Ms. Stefanik and I will be filing today <laughs> to express the sense of Congress that President Trump did not uh, commit an insurrection. I want to express my gratitude to Senator Vance for filing the companion legislation over in the Senate. And now is time 
for members of the House and Senate to show where they stand on this question. We and the former president welcome and expect many more co-sponsors in the coming days and look forward to a floor vote. And now I'd like to recognize my co-lead on this project, our terrific Republican conference chair, Elise Stefanik. So on the (laughs) same day where the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals denied Donald Trump's claim of absolute presidential immunity and affirmed the district court's ruling denying Donald Trump's motion to dismiss and gave Trump until February 12th if he's going to try to appeal before the Supreme Court, before proceedings resume in the D.C. federal court, what do the Magadonian members of Congress do? That's what they call themselves now. MAGA or Magadonians. Oh, heck, the Republican Party is completely dead at this point. It's just a bunch of authoritarian Magadonians, as they call them. It's what you saw at the outset of this video. Matt Gates, Stefanik, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Boebert, the, the Magadonian crew right there. They are all introducing a resolution to have Congress declare that Donald Trump is not an insurrectionist Mm -hmm. and didn't engage in insurrection. You have actual insurrectionists there (laughs) introducing a resolution to declare that their co-conspirator Donald Trump is not an insurrectionist when law and order is actually being done by a D.C. Circuit panel comprised of Republican-appointed judges and Democratic-appointed judges. And this is how MAGA Republicans are spending their time. At the same time, they are killing bipartisan border deals that are the toughest in American history that are supported and endorsed by the Border Patrol Union that was a wish list of everything that Republicans wanted because Donald Trump wants to kill that and because Donald Trump walks around and compares himself to rogue cops and pedo priests saying they should get absolute immunity, which by the way they don't. This is what the Magadonians in Congress are spending their time doing, introducing this resolution for Donald Trump and harming our national security by stopping a bipartisan border deal from going forward. It is completely and utterly pathetic. And by the way, here, Matt Gates wants to try to explain that he's a legal scholar and he thinks that if there's a declaration by Congress that Donald Trump is not an insurrectionist, they could actually use that to help Donald Trump in his cases. As many Democratic members of Congress have said, over and over again, the Magadonians, the MAGA Republicans in Congress, they have simply formed their own law firm for Donald Trump. They are not an independent branch of Congress. They are doing the bidding of Donald freaking Trump. Here, listen to what Matt Gates says. Play this clip. Uh, what is, is there like a practical sort of implication if this passes? Would this help? Trump legally in quarters is just a symbolic measure. No, I, I think that it would be incredibly helpful legally if we were to adopt this provision. You know, I, I've been the victim of federal crimes. I know what it's like when prosecutors regularly consult the victim to understand what the victim's expectations are. If we're the purported victim in Congress and we're saying this was not an insurrection, I think that would hold a great deal of weight. Yes. Oh, and then you had Marjorie Taylor Greene. She gets on stage and she just wants to wag her finger and says, shame on all of you. Shame on you for calling anybody an insurrectionist. Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was there plotting at the White House, 
to help it aid and abet the insurrection. Here, play this clip. Democrats and dishonest people in the media every single day accuse President Trump of waiting. an insurrection and accuse many of us of waging an insurrection and you're doing nothing but lying and selling the lies of the Democrats all for campaigns and elections. Shame on every single person that has done that. Shame on you. You need to tell the truth. You have the freedom of press, one of the greatest rights in this Get these entire world in any one that puts the word insurrectionist, calls President Trump an insurrectionist, and calls any of us an insurrectionist is a liar, and you do not deserve the power that you possess. Shame on you. Shame on you. No, shame on you. Let me give you guys a little. And here, Marjorie Taylor Greene says, I want to. Jew history. She just makes stuff up right. I mean, again, it's just like I'm telling you, Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin must look at this and not just laugh at what the Republican Party has become and the damage they're doing to our great nation, or should I say the Magadonians, but they're probably like, wow, they go even further than my own people go for us. Here, play this clip of Marjorie Taylor Greene. Let me give you guys a little history lesson, okay? When President Trump was inaugurated, Antifa and leftist rioters nearly burned down Washington, D.C. Did you call it an insurrection? No. Perhaps the dumbest and most dangerous of the statements spewed out of her mouth. Washington, D.C. Did you call it an insurrection? No. Perhaps the dumbest and most dangerous of the statements spewed out of her mouth is this one. So, uh, social revolution. Okay. This one where she goes, oh, why wasn't it called an insurrection when President Biden was inaugurated and there were all this National Guard there? What the hell are you talking about? What are you talking about? Play the clip. And then... The American people who pay for elections with their tax dollars actually own the elections and have have the right, the right to care about their elections, election integrity, and the results of their elections. When they came to Washington and protested, all of you called it an insurrection. And then when Joe Biden was inaugurated, and, Biden and this entire Capitol complex was surrounded with 
with the man with 20,000 National Guard. None of you stood there chased. and called that an insurrection. None of you oh, no. called that an insurrection. You all oh, stayed no. silent. You all You're stayed silent. Here's the thing. Everyone knows how annoying cheap razors are. They huh. cut you. They irritate you. and Plastic. Plastic. Fuck that shit. Witch hunt. Designed but obsolescence. The left is a to engage in sexual relations in public while blowing vape smoke in people's faces. It's the Pregnant Republicans women. for you. Here's what she's got to say. The left is afraid. And now they are trying again to rig another election by interfering in this political witch hunt <laughs> so pathetic here's lauren bobert again play the clip they tried to rig the 2020 election <laughs> by sending out hundreds of thousands of ballots illegally they colluded with the government and big tech to censor the hunter biden laptop story we know that democrats would have changed their votes had they been informed about hunter biden's laptop Oh, and here's MAGA Mike Johnson when he found out that uh, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled against Donald Trump and found that there was no absolute immunity. He didn't even know about it, but he was very quick to say, oh, that's lawfare. They're just going after him. They're just going after him. So what the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, the district courts, everything, everybody, everywhere is wrong. But loser Donald Trump, who's lost everything his entire life, who lies about freaking everything, who is incompetent, who goes up and makes speeches now that are basically him going, boop, boop, shoot, mommy, mommy, shoot, like just weird crap like that. What the hell has the Republican Party become? This is freaking weird and embarrassing and dangerous and Marjorie Taylor Greene shame on you yeah, all well, here's fucking blame Mike the Johnson justice department the doing nothing because they don't want to look Trump political have immunity do you do you think that he deserves total immunity from anything that he's done in office uh i haven't seen that development was that this morning yeah this, they, they just ruled yeah, this morning I, I believe that they've been after uh, president trump for partisan political purposes i think that's obvious and and we call it lawfare and i think there's no other way to describe it how did you go about picking and here a desantis supporter by the name of peter henline this is what he had to say about all of this he goes so this is where the gop is at We've got Matt Gates, who teamed with the House Democrats to throw the House into chaos because he was angry about the House investigation into his sleeping with underage girls. You've got Lauren Boebert, who in the last few months has jerked off a guy in public theater, punched her ex-husband in the face in a public restaurant, and is jumping districts to save her career. Together giving a press conference about a resolution Gates introduced defending Trump's actions on J6 that has no chance of passing. I can think of no way any of this perpetual circus helps the GOP win election.
Shout out to Raisa Buka. Right. Hmm. Where's Booker? It's on the rain. U.S. President told us. Once we squeeze all we can out of the United States, it can dry up and blow away. <laughs> According to a New York Times, that's Benjamin Netanyahu. According to a New York Times report, the U.S. president told Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu that he might not be able to deter growing international domestic pressure for much longer. With the mounting death and destruction caused by days of pounding Gaza, Fucking starving, starving people, Palestinians, their brothers, and their family members. How cruel and heartless. When Biden finally asked Netanyahu to start winding down the war, the arrogant Israeli Premier rebuffed him and insisted instead on taking his time to realize his objectives in the war come what may. Yeah. Psychotic. Fucking psychotic. Yeah, psychotic. Right. Okay, let's pull up a little bit. That old school no, 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 shit. No, 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 no. Razor that. No, no, no. Giving dot no, no. Age in sexual relations in public while blowing vape smoke in people's faces. It's the Republicans for you. Pregnant Here's what ladies. she's got to say. The left is afraid, and now they are trying again to rig another election by interfering in this political witch hunt so pathetic here's lauren bobert again play the clip they tried to rig the 2020 election by sending yeah, out hundreds of thousands of ballots illegally they colluded was you with the government and big tech to censor the hunter biden laptop 
story? Knocking people we know the, the Democrats would have changed their votes had they well, been informed up to. about Hunter Biden's laptop. Stealing 300,000 ballots from When he found out that uh, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled against Donald Trump and found that there was no absolute immunity, he didn't even know about it, but he was very quick to say, oh, that's lawfare. They're just going after him. They're just going after him. So what? The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, the district courts, everything, everybody, everywhere is wrong. But loser Donald Trump, who's lost everything his entire life, who lies about freaking everything, who is incompetent, who goes up and makes speeches now that are basically him going, boop, boop, shoot, mommy, mommy, shoot, like just weird crap <laughs> like that. What the hell has the Republican <laughs> Party become? This is freaking weird and embarrassing. And dangerous and Marjorie Taylor Greene, shame on you all. Here's MAGA Mike Johnson. Play the clip. Federal appeals court today just ruled that President Trump does not have immunity. Do you agree? do you think that he deserves total immunity from anything that he's done in office? Uh, I haven't seen that development. That that yeah, they, they, they just ruled yeah, this I, morning. I, I believe that they've been after uh, President Trump for partisan political purposes. I think that's obvious, and and we call it's it lawfare. And I think what to kind of how did you go about picking? And here, a DeSantis supporter by the name of Peter Henline. This is what he had to say wife. about all of this. He goes, so this is where the GOP is at. We've got Matt Gates, who teamed with the House Democrats to throw the House into chaos because he was angry about the House investigation into his sleeping with underage girls. You've got Lauren Boebert, who in the last few months has jerked off a guy in public theater, punched her ex-husband in the face <laughs> in a public restaurant, and is jumping districts to save her career. Together, giving a press conference about a resolution Gates introduced defending Dr Trump's actions on J6 that has no chance of passing. I can think of no way any of this perpetual circus helps the GOP win elections, but plenty of ways it hurts that goal. And by the way, I just wanted to show you the perspective of what a DeSantis supporter is saying right here, how they're perceiving and looking at this right here. But this is how the Magadonians, the MAGA Republicans, whatever you're doing, are spending their time. And here's what Donald Trump is posting right now. A president of the United States must have full immunity in order to properly function and do what has to be done for the good of our country. A nation-destroying ruling like this cannot be allowed to stand. If not overturned as it should, this decision would terribly injure not only the presidency, but the life, breath, and success of our country. A president will be afraid to act for fear of the opposite party's vicious retribution after uh -huh. leaving office. I know from personal experience because uh -huh. I'm going through it right now. Uh -huh. It will become a political weapon used for election interference. Even our elections will be corrupted and under siege. So bad, so dangerous for our nation and he puts all in caps, save presidential immunity. You know when this was never an issue? Always, before you, before you led an insurrection against our country that we all observed and are aware of what took place. And I know you've managed to co-opt this weak and feeble Republican Party that's gone full Magadonian and they're out there praising your abilities to destroy and overthrow our democracy because the Magadonians no longer think that they can compete fairly when it comes to free and fair elections. But the American people know what happened on January 6th. And if you're supportive of what went down on January 6th, if you're supportive of not just the insurrection on January 6th, but Trump and his 
band of Magadonians efforts to constantly undermine our democracy, to harm our national security, to hurt our border, to give aid and comfort to our enemies, that you are complicit in all of this. That's why I want to show you these videos. Because when I went to law school, when I studied the Constitution, when I care about these principles so deeply held that I believe in and see these Republicans, these Magadonian Republicans, and Trump try to undermine and rip to shreds the fabric of our Constitution, we cannot sit idly by. We have to call out this behavior and how pathetic how pathetic that that is what Republicans are spending their day doing. Introducing a resolution to say that Donald Trump is not an insurrectionist while they kill the border bill. Shameful, shameful behavior. So disappointing, so dangerous, so despicable. I'm Ben Micellis. This is the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 3 million subscribers thanks to your support. Sign up for our new newsletter. MidasTouch.com slash newsletter. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch. Keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. She don't need no Instagram. She just uses Instagram. Y'all need to get off your asses and uh, make some noise. Right. 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 Okay. So I was uh I have a substack now. Corrupt Judge Cannon issues absurd order. After diaper done. Just seven seconds a day. This strange candy can cleanse mold from your swollen prostate. It turns out moldy. So, Judge Eileen Cannon strikes again. She seemed to have waited about an hour or two after the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals made their ruling denying Donald Trump's claim of absolute presidential immunity. Now, I'm not saying that Judge Eileen Cannon specifically waited for the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals' devastating ruling against Donald Trump for Judge Eileen Cannon to then issue this very peculiar and dangerous order in favor of Donald Trump. But I will say that there is a bit of a temporal nexus there that one can infer. So here's Judge Eileen Cannon's order granting in part defendants, 
referring to Donald Trump and his co-defendants, Walti Nauta and Carlos de Oliveira's motion for temporary leave to file redacted motions. And that title in and of itself is a misnomer because what Trump wanted to do was file on the public docket documents that special counsel Jack Smith had filed in redacted and sealed form. Trump was disingenuously labeling his motion leave to file redacted motions, but what Trump wanted to do was to remove redaction, so to make public code names of FBI officials, the names of witnesses who have spoken to the government, and other sensitive information. Special Counsel Jack Smith wanted to keep that information under seal, citing the safety concerns of witnesses, the safety concerns of FBI agents and their code names, and Donald Trump wanted to make that public. So this is what this motion is about and what this order is about. And ultimately, Judge Eileen Cannon said that she's going to make most of this stuff public, save for certain redactions regarding social security numbers, email addresses, and personal addresses of the witness. Uh, Judge Eileen Cannon's pretty much going to make most of the other stuff uh, public, including the FBI code name for another investigation and the uh, witness names. So let's just take a look at Judge Cannon's order here. The next question, of course, is going to be, is Special Counsel Jack Smith going to um, go to the 11th Circuit as a result of Judge Eileen Cannon's order here? Um, And we'll talk about that in a bit. But let's just take a look at what Judge Cannon ruled here. She goes, this cause comes before the court upon defendant's motion for temporary leave to file redacted motions to compel discovery, the special counsel's response and proposed redactions, the unredacted (laughs) versions of the filings, and associated submissions filed (laughs) under seal. And then the court grants, and in part, uh, Donald Trump's, defendants uh, motion to basically unseal a great deal of information that special counsel Jack Smith wants to uh, uh, take or keep uh, private. Here's the background on January 6, 2024. Defendants filed multiple motions to compel discovery in consolidated form pursuant to Rule 16 of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure and defendants attached various exhibits in support consistent with the protective order that was entered back on June 19, 2023. Defendants, Donald Trump and others, filed their motions partially redacted and then contemporaneously move for leave to file substantially unredacted versions of their motions to compel on the public docket. Special counsel Jack Smith opposes the unsealing of the motion to compel to the extent that the information therein, A, reveals the identity of potential government witnesses, B, reveals personal identifying information for any potential government witness, C, constitutes Jenks Act material for any potential government witness. The special counsel also identifies certain additional discrete sensitive information that he argues should be redacted or sealed, and he proposes redactions for the motions and attached exhibits. And just so you know, 
Jenks Act material is not exculpatory material. It's inculpatory material. The government witnesses uh, statements that are made to the government. So when people turn government witness, Jenks material refers to that. And normally when it comes to Jenks material, when the criminal defendant first gets that material is during the trial after the government witness testifies, then it's on the defense to request a motion to see the discovery. Then they get that discovery after the witness testifies so that they can cross-examine the witness and call the witness in their case. But under Jenks, under the case law that's, uh, that I'm referring to or that's mentioned here, this information doesn't get revealed until the time of trial, but Judge Eileen Cannon doesn't care about Jenks. She doesn't care about witness safety and security. She doesn't care about FBI code names. And as I said at the outset of this video, the timing's awfully suspicious of her ruling that she was just sitting on it, and it just so happens to come out right after the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals slammed Donald Trump's absurd and dangerous arguments where he tried to assert absolute presidential immunity. How'd you sleep last night? If you answered, not so great, just okay, or don't ask, you're not alone. One out of three Americans report being sleep-deprived, and your sheets could be the problem. The wrong sheets can trap body heat, leaving you boiling one minute and freezing the next. The solution? Cozy Earth Bedding. Cozy Earth Bedding. Offer information.com slash Midas. So we go through some of the legal standards. Um, regarding uh, the disclosure of uh, information like this. And here is what Judge Cannon further says. Following an independent review of the motions and the full record, she goes, most of the special counsel's proposed redactions concern sealing the identity of potential government witnesses and their statements as referenced in defendant's motion and certain attachments. In support of that request, special counsel refers to general terms to witness safety and intimidation, citing to the Jenks Act. Although substantiated witness safety and intimidation concerns can form a valid basis for overriding the strong presumption in favor of public access, the special counsel's sparse and undifferentiated response fails to provide the court with necessary factual basis to justify the sealing. So, in other words, she then says, I'm going to reveal this information publicly. Judge Cannon goes on to say the special counsel also alludes, again, in general terms to the concern that public disclosure of witness identities or their statements in advance of trial also risks infecting the testimony of other witnesses or unnecessarily influencing the jury pool. And the court says, even accepting those rationales for sealing, the special counsel's submission offers nothing in the form of concrete factual support for those rationales. I think it's pretty common sense. That's why there is a case called Jenks. That's why there is a statute called SEPA. That's why there is a protective order. That's why this all exists, that witness safety from somebody like Donald Trump who threatens witness safety over and over again. What more factual support do you want than that, Judge Eileen Cannon? Nothing was ever going to satisfy her. She wants Donald Trump to intimidate witnesses. Let's just call it what it is. 
Then Judge Cannon's order goes on to say this leaves four categories for resolution in the special counsel's seal request. Personal identifying information for potential government witnesses, such as dates of birth, email addresses, telephone numbers, references to signals intelligence subcompartments, references to an FBI code name of a separate investigation, and uncharged conduct as to one or more individuals. And here, Judge Cannon does say that she will allow redactions to stand when it comes to the personal identifying information like Social Security. She will allow some redactions regarding intelligence sub-compartments, but she will not allow redactions. It will be public, the FBI code name of a separate investigation and uncharged conduct as to one or more individuals. Here's what she says, for example, with the FBI code name. With respect to the special counsel's desire to shield the FBI code name of a separate investigation, neither the special counsel's publicly filed response nor the accompanying sealed filing identifies the information it seeks to redact. Although protection of continuing law enforcement investigation can constitute a compelling government interest, the special counsel fails to identify the information at issue, provide any explanation about the nature of the investigation, or explain how disclosure of a code name would prejudice or jeopardize the integrity a of break. a separate investigation. I mean, you s listen to that, you read that, and you go, you would think that the reason the Putting FBI has to national use security a code at rest. name and has to speak in code is because it would jeopardize things. And that this case it's just the basic 101 of law enforcement but again judge cannon is not a law and order judge as evidenced by that and what donald trump wants to do is have this opportunity for fbi agents i believe in my opinion to get injured and to harass them and he says horrible things about fbi and law enforcement all the time and then the court says, uh, as it relates to the exhibits discussing uncharged conduct as to one or more individuals, there's an insufficient basis to provide, uh, put this information under seal. So that becomes public as well. So she's basically making public everything. She released this after the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals reached their decision denying Donald Trump's absolute immunity. Um, and, you know, Judge Eileen Cannon strikes again. But I wanted to read that to you so, you know, you don't just hear me saying, oh, I don't like Judge Cannon or she's incompetent or she's corrupt. This is a very anti-law enforcement <laughs> order. It's a very dangerous order. And now we'll see what special counsel Jack Smith and does Trump next both. as a result of this order. You know, and specifically as it relates to the FBI code name. issue and how that could harm other criminal investigations but we will keep you posted as we learn more hit subscribe we are on our way to three million subscribers thanks to your incredible support thanks for watching and uh make sure you hit subscribe have a great day hey midas mighty love this report we continue the conversation Fucking by fail. following us on instagram at Fucking failure with the most i said damn jack smith for failing to get search warrant and search the rest of diaper donald's properties
Jack Smith and the Justice Department are failing to protect national security by refusing to file to remove Judge Cannon from this case. <clears throat> corrupt, comma, conflicted, comma, and incompetent, comma, inexperienced, and Right. Put this on Instagram. She don't need no Instagram. Damn Jack Smith and the Justice Department for their I'm unstoppable. I'm invincible. Tag people. <clears throat> Thirteen year old drag queen performing. Fucking rad. Fucking talking about. It's Kelly Perez, 5.30. There's a problem with, uh, kids that she's a fucking genius, this, this kid. Wow, she's amazing.
<laughs> said, wow, she's amazing. Why don't you all just mind your own damn business? Don't watch if you don't like to see talented young people. And security. Right-wing nets need to mind their own fucking business. LGBTQI and um, how about uh, trans? <sighs> Young Democrats College Dems The entire United States of America's food system. Oh, you sent your kid off to general public schools? Congratulations, they're going to be fed garbage. Oh, hey, you woke up? Well, we this are crows trying to put out a fire before it gets too big and out of hand. Crows are known for their intelligence, but exactly how smart they are will amaze and possibly terrify you. While several species use tools, crows are the only non-primates that make new tools. In addition to using sticks as spears and hooks, crows will bend this tools. A crow will insert a stick in a maggot den. As soon as the maggot bites, it is pulled out. A crow will fill a water jar with stones and quench its thirst. A crow's brain is as smart as a seven-year-old child. Crows understand analogies and grasp concepts the very first time without any training in the concepts. Unlike humans, crows can recognize individual human faces. Crows also hold on grudge to their offspring. generations. Crows will drop hard shell nuts on roads so as cars can crack them, then eat them when safe. Crows can also talk. Hello. This are crows trying to put out a fire before it gets too big and out of hand. Crows are known for their intelligence, but exactly how smart they are will amaze and possibly terrify you. While several species use tools, crows are the only non-primates that make new tools. In addition to using sticks as spears and hooks, crows will bend this tools. A crow will insert a stick in a maggot den. As soon as the maggot bites, it is pulled out. A crow will fill a water jar with stones and quench its thirst. A crow's brain is as smart as a seven-year-old child. Crows understand analogies and grasp concepts the very first time without any training in the concepts. Unlike humans, crows can recognize individual human faces. Crows also hold on grudge and pass it on to their offspring, even subsequent generations. Crows will drop hard shell nuts on roads so as cars can crack them, 
then eat them when safe. Crows can also talk. These are crows trying to put out a fire before it gets too big and out of hand. Crows are known for their intelligence, but exactly how Hey everyone, it's Selena Gomez here. These are crows trying to put out a fire before it gets too big and out of hand. Crows are known for their intelligence, but exactly how smart they are will amaze and possibly terrify you. These are crows trying to put out a fire before it gets too big and out of hand. Crows are known for their intelligence. But exactly how smart they are will amaze and possibly terrify you. While several Don't species use、me. tools, crows are the only non-primates that make. This are crows trying to put out a fire before it gets too big and out of hand. Crows are known for their intelligence. While several species use tools, crows are the only non-primates that make. Hey everyone, it's Selena Gomez here.、Oh, Due to a packaging error, we can't sell 3,000 Le Creuset cookware sets, so I'm giving them away to my loyal fans for free. If you're seeing this ad, you can get a free Le Creuset cookware set today. But just a heads up, there are a few rules. You must live in the United States, and you can only get one free kitchen set per household. All you have to do. <clears throat> Is it for sure, for real? Okay, Just click the button below and answer. You might get really mad when you learn that you don't own anything. <laughs> when you start learning that everything that you register with the government, you start effectively fractionalizing. Cualquiera que quiera admitir que haya nunca un estado palestino tiene que apoyar a y tiene que transferir dinero a esto es lo que estamos haciendo esto es parte de nuestra estrategia financiar para que nunca haya un estado palestino saben ustedes quién dijo eso El señor Netanyahu en marzo del 2019 en la Knesset.、Claro. Cualquiera que quiera evitar que haya nunca un Estado palestino tiene que apoyar a y tiene que transferir dinero a. Esto es lo que estamos haciendo. Esto es parte de nuestra estrategia. Financiar para que nunca haya un Estado palestino. Saben ustedes quién dijo eso? El señor Netanyahu en marzo del 2019 en la Knesset. EU. Native Hawaiian, one of the world's endangered indigenous people. I am a member of the movement for Hawaiian independence. You cannot be American and be Hawaiian. To be American is to be money-oriented, to be selfish, and above all, to be disconnected from and disrespectful towards the Aina of my people. Aloha Aina means agriculture and aquaculture, not hotels, not military bases. 
It means preservation of rural areas and rural lifestyle, of fish farms, of streams, of forests, of kula lands. Our culture has to be the core of our resistance, the core of, <clears throat> of our anger. Our people don't understand that. How do we lift the veil from the eyes of our people and show them that they will always fill up the prisons and the unemployment lines, always occupy the lowest educational and economic levels, always get squeezed out of their lands and put into rat trap apartments, unless they resist, unless they fight back, unless they organize. We are not Americans. We will die of the land. We will never be Americans. I greet you today as a native Hawaiian, one of the world's endangered indigenous people. I am a member of the movement for Hawaiian independence. You cannot be American and be Hawaiian. To be American is to be money-oriented, to be selfish, and above all, to be disconnected from and disrespectful towards the Aina Aloha Aina means agriculture and aquaculture, not hotels, mm -hmm. not military bases. I support Hawaiian independence. I support uh, Hawaiian independence movement. I support the Hawaiian independence movement. Christopher Price, Hawaii Democrats, Maui, Hawaii Democrats, Hawaiian Airlines, Hawaii, Hawaii, Hawaii. How about Maui Democrats? Maui Dems Demo Crazy Crats. No Maui Democrats, Hawaii Democrats. It means I wish someone would have told me that sacrificing my boundaries in the name of empathy wasn't noble. I wish they would have warned me that all it would do is make me a safe house for other people's demons. I think empathy has to be taught in two parts. How to put yourself in someone's shoes and see the hurt they were given that made them hurt you, and how to understand that you still don't deserve what they're doing. Their scars are no excuse for the wounds they give to you. Their inability to heal is not something you can fix if you stay and continue to let them treat you in all these unacceptable ways. If you give them excuses and save places for their darkness, instead of demanding they do better, the only thing you are teaching them is that you'll put up with it. We want to live in a world where hurt people don't hurt people, but the reality is that starts with you standing up for yourself and not accepting disrespect. You chose to heal. You chose to take the darkness the world gave you and still be a light. You chose kindness despite the pain you received. They can too. 
I wish someone would have told me that sacrificing my boundaries in the name of empathy wasn't noble. Here's another reason you should boycott McDonald's. So the most popular item at McDonald's worldwide is the world famous French fries. So let's go find out what's in it. Medium fries, please. Thank you. Take care. So let's take a look at what's in these fries. You would think it would just be potatoes, oil, and salt, right? Wrong. There's actually 18 ingredients in these fries alone. Firstly, we have four different types of seed oils in these fries alone, which are all linked to heart disease, diabetes, dementia, and a bunch of other health conditions. Then you have something called sodium acid pyrophosphate, which maintains the color of this which is linked to kidney damage and calcium deposits that block arteries. Next, you have something called dimethyl polysiloxane, which is used in industrial lubricants and cosmetics like nail polish. And to top it all off, you would use salt, but the salt has four different ingredients like sugar and something called silicoaluminate, which is salt made from aluminum. And aluminum, as we know, is linked to Alzheimer's and a bunch of other neurodegenerative diseases. So the next time you go to McDonald's, you might want to think twice. Here's another reason you should boycott yeah. McDonald's. So the most popular item at McDonald's worldwide is the world famous French fries. So let's go find out now. what's in it. Medium fries, please. <clears throat> Thank you. Take care. So let's take a look at what's in these fries. You would think it would just be potatoes, oil, and salt, right? Wrong. There's actually 18 ingredients in these fries alone. Firstly, we have four different types of seed oils. Learn how to cook. Every single day. Oh. And these fries alone, which are all is what we are told all the time. Where's the Palestinian Gandhi? Where are the nonviolent resistors? Well, you're murdering them. Yeah. Hey there, welcome back. Let's hear some Gaia, man. Gaia's awesome. Everybody go get your subscription. It's only $11.99, I believe. 12 bucks a month for this incredible programming and truth <clears throat> that Nobody else will tell you. Can't get it. If I were a billionaire, I'd buy up Gaia and make it and turn it into PBS. <laughs> Let's see here. You know, one of the most popular podcasts I've done so far is about the... Uh, ooh, this sounds great. Um, was the uh, different types of extraterrestrials. So, yeah, that was pretty interesting. I'm applying to be a producer for Gaia, by the way. Getting together my resume as we speak. It's one of my top priorities. Who are the Knights Templar, and what are the origins of this esoteric order, and how do their enduring mysteries connect them in a unique way to the high culture and technology of the lost civilization of Atlantis? In the series premiere, Timothy Hogan, Grandmaster of the Knights Templar, is in conversation with 
Scott Walter, a forensic geologist, to trace the beginning of this legendary group of protectors charged with the preservation of ancient knowledge from the pre-Diluvian worldwide network known as Atlantis to the astonishingly accurate Puri Rees map and the alchemical magic of a substance called mana. The sacred trail blazed by the Knights what Templar. What was Atlantis? Was it a place? A culture? And what happened to it? I'm Timothy Hogan, Grandmaster of the Knights Templar. And I'm Scott Walter, a forensic geologist and the Knights Templar. And this is Mysteries of the Knights Templar. Wow. How is it you guys aren't assassinated? <laughs> Forgiven up so all the question your, is, your who were the medieval Knights Templar? And who are the Templars today? Who are the Templars today? But more today? importantly than that, what is the connection between the Templars and Atlantis? And who better to ask that question than the Grand Master himself? Tim, who were the Knights Templar? <laughs> History has suggested that it was an order founded in 1118 specifically to defend pilgrims on their way to the Holy Land. This was during the Crusades and... Uh, Pilgrims needed protection in order to go there, but we know, in fact, this was actually a cover. The Templar Order was founded because there was a belief, there was a knowledge that there had been a pre-Diluvian civilization. The Bible referred to it as the time of Noah, and that it had collapsed during a massive cataclysm. Flood is, is how it's described in the Bible. Ultimately, these Templars, they needed to track down the pockets of survival of the knowledge, the technology, the philosophies that had been preserved from this pre-Diluvian civilization. So what I'm hearing you say is that Atlantis was not necessarily a place that sunk into the ocean. It was a high culture. Yeah, it was more like a worldwide network yeah. of information that was being preserved at different parts of the world. And Thank when this you. cataclysm occurred, everything fell apart. It fell into disarray. And we went into a very dark period in humanity. But the Templars understood that if they were ever going to bring Europe out of the Dark Ages, they needed to find the remnants of this lost civilization, the technology, the philosophy, and use it to spur people into a new high culture. Okay, let me ask you this. Is this a fair way to couch this? That the Crusades and the Templars' involvement in Crusades of capturing the Holy Land and establishing really which was a base of operations so that they could go throughout the region to round up some of this ancient knowledge, this ancient information? Is that pretty much... The story? Yeah, while well, Crusaders were busy trying to fight for the Holy Land and uh, taking over territory, the Templars are more concerned with digging for artifacts. So what it sounds like to me is the Templars had a mission even before the Crusades. They knew this stuff was there. How did they get that information? Did it trickle down all the way from the time of Atlantis? It did. You have to remember that the Templars largely came out of Albigensian families in southern France, which were a Gnostic sect. So they already had ideas that were contrary to the 
popular establishments of the time. You mean of the Roman Catholic Church? Roman Catholic Church and the monarchies. Right. They were very democratic and they were open to spiritual ideas in which the individual was empowered. Uh, this allowed them to go out and try to seek out other communities that had these views. In particular, there was a tradition that caused the Templars to travel to Constantinople to meet with a group there that was known as the Brothers of the East. This particular group in Constantinople uh, had originally come from Greece, had been established in 1057, and they set themselves up in an area that was known as the, the Church of St. Sergius and Bacchus which was a building designed by an alchemist in which the Pythagorean and other ideas were incorporated into it, Gnostic ideas. Sacred geometry. Sacred geometry, absolutely. So Tim, there's a uh, pervasive rumor within the Templar tradition that I've heard for years. And I would like to get confirmation from you. The equilateral, equal armed cross that adorned the Templars white tunics and that they're famous for. That's a very old symbol. Is it true that it goes back to the time of the Atlanteans? Yeah, in fact, it's a symbol that is found all throughout the ancient world. In particular, ancient Sumer. It was something that was utilized by what were known as the Anunnaki or the, or the gods of ancient Sumer. But you also find it in Egypt and other places. And it related specifically in, in ancient Sumer to a alchemical science that was known as Graal, G-R-A dot A-L. That is, sounds familiar. Yes, this, this came to be partially associated with what was later to be known as the Holy Grail. Right. Which the Templars were said to be guarded. So they adopted this symbol. So a lot of people are going to ask a question, how do these different traditions recognize each other? How do they know who's on their side and who's not? And I think that breaks down to signs of recognition, just like we have in our modern Templar order and within Freemasonry, correct? Correct, yeah. There were certain signs, there were certain handshakes that had been passed down from early times that these different Gnostic families and traditions had been holding on to. So when Hugh de Paines and Godfrey de St. Omar had inherited these things, they went to Constantinople, they were able to exchange them with the Brothers of the East. In particular, there was a Joanite tradition under a guy by the name of Theoclete and another man by the name of Michael Silos, who was a very famous French philosopher. And they had been at Constantinople and they had the blueprints for what Hugh de Paines and Godfrey de Saint Omar needed to do to form the Templar Order and specifically to go to Jerusalem for the next stage of their mission. There's documentation that has come to me over the last 15 years. It's called the Cremona document. And one part of it is a specific narrative that talks about Hugh de Payne, the first Grand Master of the Knights Templar, and five other knights who entered under the south wall and followed a tunnel system and found an ancient ritual chamber. How old it is is unknown, but inside that chamber they found, or I should probably say recovered, not discovered, artifacts that they knew were there. This included ancient scrolls, ancient knowledge, as you mentioned, technologies in the form of instrumentation, gold, wealth, 
and the remains of a very important person in Templarism going all the way back to the first century, John the Baptist. Is there a connection between John the Baptist and the Johnite tradition? There is. In fact, uh, the entire Johannite tradition got its name specifically from Is there a connection between John the Baptist and the Johannite tradition? There is. In fact, uh, the entire Johannite tradition got its name specifically Johannite. Jo <clears throat> I've never heard of that. Okay. John the Baptist. Is there a connection between John the Baptist and the Johannite tradition? There is. In fact, uh, the entire Johannite tradition got its name specifically from John the Baptist, who is deemed to be the initiator of Jesus. And according to the Johannite tradition, he was meant to be the leader of this spiritual tradition. Unfortunately, Jesus. And according to the Johannite tradition, he was meant to be the leader of this spiritual tradition. Unfortunately, he was taken out early. But the Johns of the Bible were all part of this tradition, and it's believed that there was a succession, a line of succession, going all the way up to Theoclete in Constantinople, who then, in turn, entrusted Hugh de Paines with this same mission. Okay. So what you're saying is there's a tradition that starts with John the Baptist, comes forward all the way to Theoclis, right? Where? Correct. How about going the other way? Does this go all the way back Was his tomb to Atlantis? Comes? It does. And this is where we, we go back to some of the Babylonian traditions that talk about the god Oannes, who came from the sea and baptized priest kings and gave them the keys to rebuild civilization. It was deemed that these myths were probably alluding to the Atlanteans who had survived this cataclysm and had preserved pockets of information and technology. Mm -hmm. And it's worth pointing out that the word Oannes, the name Oannes, uh, whose feast day in the ancient world was June 24th, hmm. just happened to become... John the Baptist Day. That's exactly right. And John in Greek is Ioannis. So, so coincidence? Hmm. It was a tradition. Exactly. It was information being passed down. The Templars recovered this. They began their archaeological digging for the first nine years that they were in Jerusalem. That's all they did was dig under the Temple Mount. And information that they got from there led them to other locations like mm -hmm. Egypt, mm -hmm. Lebanon and other places, ultimately to the new world of what was to become known as America. Right, right. Wow. Well, the evidence that we see is in the form of Templar graffiti carved all over the Middle East region. That's correct. They met with people like the Sabaeans mm -hmm. in northern Turkey who were preserving a whole tradition in the area that we now refer to as Gobleki Tepe which had the seeds of civilization being being preserved there, all the way down into Egypt in places like Abydos, where they were meeting with Coptic Christians, which was a different tradition. And then within Jerusalem itself, as they were digging out of the Temple Mount and other places, one of the things they came across... And Beautiful girl. ...meeting with Coptic Christians, 
which was a different tradition. And then within Jerusalem itself, as they were digging out of the Temple Mount and other places, one of the things they came across, and this is from traditional Jewish sources, is they came across certain jars. And as they opened up these jars, much like we find with the Dead Sea Scrolls or the Nadj Hammondi Library, mm -hmm. they discovered these new texts, which what we now know is were the Zohar, the, the text known as the, the fundamental aspects of the Zohar. So this would have been the genesis of Jewish mysticism, the Zohar? Absolutely. Not only was it the genesis of Jewish mysticism, but there was information in the Zohar that pointed to land on the other side of the ocean. In fact, it talked about other continents and the earth being round and where people lived. And, and this was fundamental to the Templars in their discoveries of, of what there was to follow thereafter, including right. going to the New World. Okay. Just recently, some images were shared with me and some drone footage of a site that's two and a half miles away from Gobekli Tepe. And we've now coined the phrase for this site, Templar Tepe, because there are a couple of walls with Templar graffiti carvings that are undeniable, unmistakable, which tells us the tradition was there. The question is, what were they doing? Was it somehow connected to go back? Right. Atlantean okay. secrets revealed. Just recently, some images were shared with me and some drone footage of a site that's two and a half miles away from Gobekli Tepe. And we've now coined the phrase for this site, Templar Tepe, because there are a couple of walls with Templar graffiti carvings that are undeniable, unmistakable, which tells us the tradition was there. The question is, what were they doing? Was it somehow connected to Gobekli Tepe? And I think the prevailing wisdom now is pretty much universal Graffiti. that Gobekli Tepe was an ancient observatory dating back to the time of the Atlanteans because you mentioned so this catastrophic event that didn't completely destroy the culture, significantly reduced it almost down to nothing. And what we see at Gobekli Tepe is this incredible observatory was intentionally buried Archaeologists are saying it was intentionally buried at the very same time of this catastrophic event that has now been labeled the Younger Dryas Impact Event. That's right. Well, and it just so happens that this Younger Dryas Impact Event, as it's being called now, falls exactly in line with the time frame of when Plato specifically said Atlantis collapsed. <laughs> And not only that, but we find remnants of that same story being preserved at Edfu in Egypt, talking about this great cataclysm and how long ago it was, and it falls in with that exact same time period. What we understand now as Templars was that as that civilization <clears throat> collapsed, Maybe the technology had to up. go into hiding. Maybe Templars to... covered up like a Beckley Tepe so that it would be would not be ruined by the Turk or something like that. And preserve it for um, later generations, basically. What's this? Con what's the? Uh... 
relationship between the Templars and the and the church. Okay, we're gonna back up just a wee bit. Of, of what they were to follow thereafter, including right. going to the New World. Okay. Just recently, some images were shared with me and some drone footage of a site that's two and a half miles away from Gobekli Tepe. And we've now coined the phrase Wait, for this site. One, I want to see their justification. Baptized priest kings in the new world. and gave them the keys to rebuild civilization. It was deemed that these myths were probably alluding to the Atlanteans who had survived this cataclysm and had preserved pockets of information and technology. Mm -hmm. And it's worth pointing out that the word Oannes, the name Oannes, uh, whose feast day in the ancient world was June 24th, hmm. just Wait happened to become... John the Baptist Day. That's exactly right. And John in Greek is Ioannis. So, so coincidence? It was a tradition. Exactly. It was information being passed down. The Templars recovered this. They began their archaeological digging for the first nine years that they were in Jerusalem. That's all they did was dig under the Temple Mount. And information that they got from there led them to other locations like mm -hmm. Egypt, mm -hmm. Lebanon and other places, ultimately to the new world of what was to become known as America. Right, right. Market. Well, the evidence that we see is in the form of Templar graffiti carved all over the Middle East region. That's correct. They met with people like the Sabaeans mm -hmm. in northern Turkey who were preserving a whole tradition in the area that we now refer to as Gobleki Tepe which had the seeds of civilization being being preserved there, all the way down into Egypt in places like Abydos, where they were meeting with Coptic Christians, which was a different tradition. And then within Jerusalem itself, as they were digging out of the Temple Mount and other places, one of the things they came across, and this is from traditional Jewish sources, is they came across certain jars and as they opened up these jars, much like we find with the Dead Sea Scrolls or the Naj Hammondi Library, mm -hmm. they discovered these new texts, which what we now know is were the Zohar, the, the texts known as the, the fundamental aspects of the Zohar. So this would have been the genesis of Jewish mysticism, the Zohar? Absolutely. Not only was it the genesis of Jewish mysticism, but there was information in the Zohar that pointed to land on the other side of the ocean. In fact, it talked about other continents and the earth being round and where people lived. And, and this was fundamental to the Templars in their discoveries of, of what there was to follow thereafter, including right. going to the New World. Okay. Just recently, some images were shared with me world? and some drone footage of a site that's two and a half miles away from Gobekli Tepe. And we've now coined the phrase for this site, Templar Tepe, because there are a couple of walls with Templar graffiti carvings that are undeniable, unmistakable, which tells us the tradition was there. The question is, what were they doing? Was it somehow connected to Templar go back to Tepe? Tepe? 
And I think the prevailing wisdom now is pretty much universal that Gobekli Tepe was an ancient observatory dating back to the time of the Atlanteans because you mentioned this catastrophic event that didn't completely destroy the culture, significantly reduced it almost down to nothing. And what we see at Gobekli Tepe is this incredible observatory was intentionally buried. Archaeologists are saying it was intentionally buried at the very same time of this catastrophic event that has now been labeled the Younger Dryas Impact Event. That's right. Well, and it just so happens that this Younger Dryas Impact Event, as it's being called now, falls exactly in line with the time frame of when Plato specifically said Atlantis collapsed. <laughs> And not only that, but we find remnants of that same story being preserved at Edfu in Egypt, talking about this great cataclysm and how long ago it was, and it falls in with that exact same time period. What we understand now as Templars was that as that civilization collapsed, the technology had to go into hiding had to be preserved in different areas. And certainly places like Lebanon and Egypt and Jerusalem became fertile places to preserve this stuff at that time. And one of the things that was found by the Templars Starting. was a series of arcs, which are now associated with Arcs of the Covenant. Wait a minute, a series of arcs? I thought the ark was just the ark, the one ark. No, there were multiple arcs. In fact, some traditions say that there may be as many as 100. The Templar Order has found evidence of at least 10, but they recovered six. Mm -hmm. And they knew that these things couldn't fall into the hands of the power structures of the day, so they had to go into hiding. So there was a great effort on the part of the Templar Order to take these arcs and try to understand them, how they worked, and... It turns out these arcs, what they really were was giant capacitors. They, mm -hmm. they could generate electricity, and they were filled with a superconductive substance, which the Bible refers to as manna. Manna, that's right. Manna and manna in Hebrew just means, what is it? <laughs> and we know now it was probably named this because... When you test this substance, it doesn't show up as anything. <laughs> like, you know, most tests are done with spectroscopic analysis. Or, Infrared spectrometry. Right, yeah. X-ray diffraction. Back, right, back then they would do a burn test right. to see what color the flame was. But this didn't show up as anything, but it had these unusual properties. And since they couldn't tell what it was, what is it? Okay, here's the big question, though. You manna said from heaven. the manna was the power source, right? Yeah. And that these were capacitors, batteries. Yeah. What did they run? The thing that we think is it was probably broadcasted electricity throughout the planet from the old Atlantean tradition. They probably was a world grid network, electricity being broadcasted around the world. And when this cataclysm happened, it just shut that all off. So they were able to preserve the capacitors, and that's about it. But the grid was shut down. The grid was shut down. Oh. And the Templars were, were wise enough to recognize, okay, this happened in antiquity. It could happen again. They had the mission of trying to rebuild civilization 
to where Atlantis was before, recognizing that civilization is fragile and it could fall apart. So they had to preserve the keys to rebuild civilization again and again. Hmm. When civilization collapsed, there was an attempt to try to preserve what they could. Some of this not only included these arcs, but they also included instructions for government, democratic ideas, power of the individual, the connection of the individual to God, and that the source of who we really are is connected to the creator, and that everybody, through their own efforts, could, could connect with that. Right. This was the basis of what empowered democracy originally. So really what you're talking about is something that we've all heard that resonates with all humans, that we are all born with inalienable rights. That's right. As humans, when right. we come into this world, that we all have a basic list of things that we are entitled to just being here, right? That's exactly right. And so the Templars tried to preserve that and establish that. There were maps of the old world, and in fact, uh, many of these maps that the Templars were creating and the, that the Templars also inherited were later to become known as what Admiral Perry Reyes of Turkey, yep. or the Ottoman Empire at the time, right. was cataloging. And, and he even said, hey, he got these maps from earlier maps. Well, these were Templar maps that had been being preserved. You know, one of the things that's always fascinated me is the Perry Reyes map. And there are things on that map it shouldn't be there. Yeah, he had cataloged things prior to Columbus, including Antarctica without ice, and also the entire South American area. And this seems to things prior to Columbus, including Antarctica without ice, and also the entire South American area. And this seems to suggest information that had been preserved from a previous civilization. If you're talking about Antarctica being mapped without ice, you're talking a long time ago. Probably what happened was there was even a tradition from before Atlantis that was preserving this information. These are part of the cachet of things that the Templars discovered. Let me guess, Perry Reese, probably a Templar, huh? Well, he certainly came out of that tradition. You got to remember, he was in Constantinople, right where the Brothers of the East were, right where the, the Templar Order was secretly founded. And this was the center of commerce at the time. It was the center of the world. And this is where now information Istanbul. was being brought back to. You know, the other thing that's really interesting about the Templars, something I've paid a lot of attention to and studied myself, are these round churches that were used for, well, I should call them chapels, right? Yes. And Observatory used, chapels. Yeah, <laughs> laboratory astronomical uh, chapels that actually were observatories that were mapping the heavens. And what we now know is that there's a system of churches on the island of Bornholm in Denmark in Europe that they have now figured out by using long-range alignments in the heavens to be able to calculate the circumference of the earth. Now, this may not seem like a big deal, but when you are a maritime culture and you're traveling on the ocean, one of the most important things you need to know is how far is it to my destination? That'll, that'll allow you to plan accordingly with food and water 
and people and it's going to give you a tremendous advantage over anyone else if you know how big the earth is and how far away things are. They also began to encounter a number of different cultures that most people in Europe at the time had, had never encountered. And these included groups like the Druze, the Tahid Muhudun. Mm -hmm. There were Islamic sects that were mystical in nature. Now we would refer to them as Sufi. Mm -hmm. There were Druid traditions. And there were traditions within Lebanon that were really inheritors of Phoenicia. Nature, now we would refer to them as Sufi. Mm -hmm. There were Druid traditions. And there were traditions within Lebanon that were really inheritors of Phoenician traditions and Canaanite traditions. And in their associations with these groups and in their travels in Egypt, there was one thing that they found amongst them all that was secretly being passed down, and it was this science that we now refer to as alchemy. Alchemy, yeah. And we know now, uh, especially you find this in Egypt, at places like Abydos, uh, where the Templars set up headquarters. They also set up commanderies at Philae, at Dendera, at Edfu, and a number of different places in Egypt, but particularly at Abydos, and even at Luxor itself in Karnak, there are depictions of alchemical processes. Mm. And in particular, there's depictions of these arcs, and there's depictions of the mana. That mana, mana putting in there was the catalyst for the arc to work, and this mana had to be made alchemically when it was produced. So how do you make mana? Where does it come from? Well, it, it comes from just about everything, but you have to be able to calcinate it down and then extract it out of the ashes. We're going to pour that ashy lye into this to filter. Make sure the pH is nice and high. I'm going to add an acid to it, taking something from above 12 and, and we're dropping it Man down. From heaven. No shit, they're showing how to As you make can see, mana. there's stuff starting to form. We're going to do this eight times just to clean it. So it becomes this self-contained atom that it becomes completely captured and it doesn't bind with anything. And this was the mana. You could also convert certain platinum again? metals into mana, which we... It's fucking amazing. They made, they just made mana. Mana from heaven. And it was this science that we now refer to as alchemy. Alchemy. Yeah. And we know now, uh, especially you find this in Egypt, at places like Abydos, uh, where the Templars set up headquarters. They also set up commanderies at Philae, at Dendera, at Edfu, and a number of different places in Egypt. But particularly at Abydos, and even at Luxor itself, in Karnak, there are depictions of alchemical processes. Hmm. And in particular... There's depictions of these arcs, and there's depictions of the mana. That mana putting in there was the catalyst for the arc to work, and this mana had to be made alchemically when it was produced. So how do you make mana? Where does it come from? Well, mm -hmm. it, it comes from just about everything, but you have to be able to calcinate it down and then extract it out of the ashes. We're going to pour that ashy lye into this to filter. Make sure the pH is nice and high. I'm going to add an acid to it, taking something from above 12 and, and we're dropping it down. 
as you can see, there's stuff starting to form. We're going to do this eight times just to clean it. So it becomes this self-contained atom that it becomes completely captured and it doesn't bind with anything. And this was the monad. You could also convert certain platinum metals into mana, which we believe this is really what Moses was doing when he burned the golden calf into a white powder ah. and to feed to the wandering Hebrews. It but was an allegorical reference to the alchemical science that he was performing, but it had to be veiled. Absolutely. And we see this depiction on the Egyptian temple walls as well of where the pharaoh was being fed these cakes that looked like they were cone shapes mm. and uh, they, they're usually depicted right next to these arc boxes and uh, they're they're being fed to the pharaoh as, as this special food that kept him healthy and that they were being stored in these arcs which generated the electricity but let's go back for a second i want to understand exactly how does mana work inside the arc to create this power cell. So what this mana is, it's platinum metals that are in a monoatomic state. Mm. So what that means is each atom doesn't bind with the other atoms. And it does this because it's in a high spin state, what's known as a high spin state. The two outer electrons and the atom enter into what's known as a Cooper pair. And when they do that, they go into this high spin state they're completely captured by the nucleus of the atom, and they don't bind with the other atoms like they normally would. When this happens, they enter into a superconductive state. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that when you have a container full of mana, these monoatomic atoms, if you subject it to a very weak electrostatic or electromagnetic field, the spark, if you will, the spark, it, it ends up causing the container filled with mana to weigh less than the same container filled with nothing. So there's a anti-gravity effect. That's a levitation effect? A levitation effect. effect. And, and this is the reason why the arcs in the Bible is guarded by the Levites, from which we get the word levitation yes. later on, and that two Levites could carry these arcs with rods, even though the amount of gold and acacia wood that was put into building these arcs would have caused the arc to weigh several tons. But two people could carry it as long as it had a charge and as long as this these monoatomic atoms, this, this mana, was inside of it. Okay, so what you're saying is they basically had the ability with mana when it was supercharged to cause things to levitate. Could this be the secret? to the massive megalithic blocks that we find all over the world that have been cut and placed and seemingly it is impossible that any humans with the technology that we thought they had in the distant past actually could have been moved this way? Yeah, we think so. In fact, it's even possible that they may have just taken one of these arcs, bound it to the stone, and then that helped to cause the weightlessness of the stone itself. So at that point, then they could move the stones any way they needed to. As the Templars wow. started discovering these things and figuring how it worked, they realized this was a technology that it was godlike power. So they knew if these fell into the wrong hands, they could be abused. And so at this point, the Templars had a strong mission to move these arcs and these other artifacts 
out of the areas of Jerusalem, of Egypt, and other areas, moved them through Lebanon into places like Portugal, France, ultimately Scotland, and then from there, move it on over to the Americas, which they had, of course, by this point, had already been mapping and knew about. They knew all about it. Well, let's just talk about the elephant in the room to this whole plan that the Templars had, and that's the Roman Catholic Church, right? And it brings to mind their strategy was something analogous to keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. And I think really that's exactly what was going on, at least for the Templar leadership. And by aligning with the church and um, giving them the impression that they were on their side was what allowed them to have the freedom that they did to round this stuff up with the ultimate plan of bringing it to North America. And I agree with you. I think that's exactly what was going on. And the Templars would throw the church a bone. <laughs> Every once in a while, the Templars were responsible for starting to build the cathedrals right. for the church. But even on the cathedrals, they tried to carve and preserve this information, much like the Egyptians had done in earlier times. So even to this day, there's Pythagorean concepts, Gnostic concepts, alchemical information. You go to the front doors of Notre Dame Cathedral, for example, there's a series of plate medallions that show all the stages of the alchemical process. Yeah. Well, this is part of what the Templars were trying to preserve. They also brought over iconography. For example, the, the Templar headquarters at Philae in, in Egypt was the uh, Temple of Isis. And in this Temple of Isis, not only on the temple walls, but also on the altars, there were these black basalt statues of the goddess Isis nursing the young child Horus, which is identical to images of Mother Mary nursing that's Jesus. Right? That's exactly right. So the Templars brought that iconography over. They gave it a new facelift. <laughs> and to preserve the memory of it, they carved what were to become known as the Black Madonnas, mm -hmm. which were these same iconography but painted black, so they looked like the statues in Egypt, and placed them in the crypts under the cathedrals that they were building. So, Tim, here's what I think we have. We go back to the time of the Younger Dryas period. Prior to that, we had a high culture that exists that preserved ancient knowledge just in case something happened. And I don't think it was just in case. I think they knew something catastrophic was coming. Pardon by you. Black basalt statues of the goddess Isis nursing the young child Horus, which is identical. Isis nursing Horus. Pardon by you. basalt statues of the goddess Isis nursing the young but also on the altars there were these black basalt statues of the goddess Isis nursing the young child Horus which is identical to images of Mother Mary nursing the, Jesus, that's right? exactly right. So the Templars brought that iconography over. 
they gave it a new facelift, and to preserve the memory of it, they carved what were to become known as the Black Madonnas, mm -hmm. which were these same iconography but painted blacks. They looked like the statues in Egypt and placed them in the crypts under the cathedrals that they were building. So, Tim, here's what I think we have. We go back to the time of the Younger Dryas period. Prior to that, we had a high culture that exists that preserved ancient knowledge just in case something happened. And I don't think Again. it was just in case. Coming. I think Gobekli Tepe being covered up is a powerful piece of evidence to support that. And so they preserved this information and the survivors of that catastrophe lived on. And eventually the tradition, the Templar tradition, starting around the year 1000 or just after, acquired this knowledge, knew that they had to form a Templar order that would go in and align with the Roman church, go into Jerusalem, round up the stuff that they needed, find that old that was a really trippy picture. It looked like uh, somebody entering Atlantis, like from a very, very high um, staircase. So, Tim, here's what I think we have. We go back to the time of the Younger Dryas period. Prior to that, we had a high culture that exists that preserved ancient knowledge just in case something happened. And I don't think it was just in case. I think they knew something catastrophic was coming. I think Gobekli Tepe being covered up is a powerful piece of evidence to support that. And so they preserved this information and the survivors of that catastrophe lived on. And uh, eventually on, the fucker. tradition, the Templar tradition, starting around. They don't want me to take a picture. It's really cool. And so they Body preserved this information you. and the survivors of that catastrophe lived on. And eventually the wow. tradition, the Templar tradition, starting around the year 1000 or just after, acquired this knowledge, knew that they had to form a Templar order that would go in and align with the Roman church, go into Jerusalem, round up the stuff that they needed, find that old hidden knowledge and information technology that was left by the Atlanteans, take that knowledge, use it to acquire the strength, the power to eventually bring it over to North America. Is that a decent synopsis? Not only that, but they wanted to reestablish the Atlantean tradition. In, in order to recreate what had once been and had been lost, but the Atlantean tradition, in order to recreate what had once been and had been lost, but now had been found. So really, Francis Bacon was the one who wrote the New Atlantis he was a Templar, and that whole book that he wrote was specifically an outline to rebuild these technologies that had been discovered by the Templars. So Francis mm. Bacon, he was in on the secret, wasn't he? He was, yeah. And so what that means is the United States of America is the new Atlantis. Absolutely. I'm Scott Walter. Wow. And I'm Timothy Hogan. What a Thanks great show. Thanks for watching this episode of Mysteries of the... Wow, what a great show.
Some things live better, baby. It's passing through. It's no sacrifice. No sacrifice. No sacrifice.